Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Welcome to Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. We bring amazing Agilists together to share their ideas about agility in today's fast-paced world. We examine current Agile tips and practices with the goal of helping you become an Agile leader in your organization. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. So here's the thing. This week, Agile for Humans hit uh, 177. So we're in the top 200 in technology podcasts on iTunes. I'd love to get your help, Agile for Humans listeners. We are so close to hitting that top 100 where uh, a lot more traffic and a lot more visibility comes into play. If you have not left a five-star review on iTunes, now would be the, the most opportune and amazing time to do so. It's a great way to help support the show. We would love to see that happen. Uh, help us get to the top 100 of, of all the technology podcasts on iTunes. Please leave us a, a quick review on iTunes. It would just help us out so much. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, and if you're feeling really inspired, subscribe on Patreon at ryanripley.com. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. You know, in, ex in exchange for your support, uh, we're able to bring you uh, these great guests and insights from the Agile community. It just keeps the show running and helps uh, make a lot of this possible. Um, we're always taking your questions and comments about the show via email at ryanripley.com. Uh, you can email me, ryan at ryanripley.com, or visit the website. Uh, joining me today, so we have Joanne Perold out of South Africa and Faye Thompson uh, out of Columbus, uh, Ohio. You know Faye from Path to Agility that's in Columbus. Uh, just a really fun discussion about uh, humanity in the workplace, systems thinking, uh, the struggles of being management in an agile organization, how we can work better with management. It's a really awesome conversation. It was so awesome that um, we actually forgot to start the show, and so you're picking this up kind of like early conversation 
so we kind of got into some things, had to pause and reset a bit because we just jumped right into it and had so much fun. But really good conversation with uh, Joe and Faye. I really enjoyed it, and I hope that you do too. Let me know. Leave a comment. Tell me what worked, what didn't. Hit me up on Twitter. I would love to know what resonates and what doesn't. And again, please check out iTunes. Please leave a review. We're real close to the top 100 of all uh, technology podcasts uh, and would love your support. With that said, let's get to the interview. What is it about, and this question is for both of you, of course, what is it about the the complexity and the human systems that that we tend to miss that, especially in the organizations that we're coaching at? Yeah, it's a tough one. I was speaking to um, one of the executives at uh, at one of the organizations that I've coached at in the past, and he he just seemed to think that a lot of the a lot of what we were trying to do was it was just a process change. And so, you know, as coaches, we were there to be in charge of the process change, and you know, these people were going to help be the people change, and those people were going to be the technology change, and um, blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't that he hadn't kind of thought about the fact that it was a bit of a systems change, but he was kind of taking like the agile frame that, oh no, this is just all about processes and, and like absolutely negating the fact that there's so much more to it than that, that actually all of these things are one thing and you can't, um, you can't, you can't just shift the process and expect the whole human system to be better off. You have to put in a whole lot of other kind of human scaffolding, if you will, I guess, <laughs> to support this. What do you think, Faye? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I do feel like this question keeps coming up over and over. Um, this year, it's definitely top of mind for a lot of people. And I, I'll go back to even um, hearing it at Agile 2017, and I think you and Amitai and Marcus and I talked about this a little bit. Now, we kind of overheard some people in the crowd say, oh, this conference isn't enough about Agile anymore. It's more about, it's become all about the touchy-feely stuff. (laughs) (laughs) To which I immediately said, well, Agile is mostly about the touchy-feely stuff, right? Because that's one, that's where the real change lies. That's where the the really good stuff lies. And also that's the hard part. Um, Human beings are, are hard. We're all different and we all are um, behave differently in different groups of people and when there are different expectations placed on us. So that is the tough part and we don't address it enough. And so then I've been trying to think about why does that happen? Um, I think some of it is, uh, I don't, I don't have a better way of describing this. It's the nature of sales process, at least in the United States of, um, how, how we sell our services or tools or products, we put together a set of processes and tell and tell organizations will come in and overlay these processes that have worked everywhere else, and we'll overlay overlay them on your organization as well, and it'll work for you. So we, we sell things that way. We set we sell certainly sell tools that way um, here, um, and we sell them as silver bullets. So the person who's either just wants to explore everything that Agile can offer or they've been given directive to go make the organization Agile. When someone comes to their door and tries to sell them something, well, that sounds like it's going to fix their problem, right? It's hard to sell upward that, that, no, really what we need to do is focus on 
our people and take better care of the people who work here. I don't, I don't think that sells very well in the executive suite. <laughs> no, sadly. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, so in my more cynical moments, I wonder if it ever will, though, because, you know, um, if we're – if we're ever if we're operating and making a massive profit and you know burning people burning through people but it's okay because we just replace them with more people because they're resources then um you know then like do we really need to do anything differently and is the is like like that the bad the bad kind of agile that i've seen out there is really just a reinforcement of a lot of that thinking where, oh, now we can just burn through resources faster because we get, you know, we get like more stuff out the door. Um, so it's kind of like, sure. Uh, is, is that really where the world is going in my, in my sad and, and cynical moments? And then I think, no, no, it can't be because like you're just going to run out of people and no one's going to want to work for you. Um, yeah. I'll back so, yeah I'll I'll back up even further to a lean coffee that occurred in Agile 2016 the year before um, someone asked the question why is this still so hard um, why isn't this getting any better and I asked the question maybe this is as good as it gets or maybe this is as good as it gets right now um, and and yeah. I'm I, and I'm with you I go back and forth I I have days where I think uh, we're, you know, we've taken steps backward, actually. And then I have days <laughs> where I'm more hopeful that that we're actually learning how to treat people in the workplace. I don't know. I, I guess it's been on my mind, too, because I've been trying to think about, you know, if, if someone asked me, really, what do you stand for? I would say that people don't need to be abused in the workplace. <laughs> and what, yeah. what, can, what can I do to help that? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Well, so for me, it, it kind of it's an expansion of that. It's that how to how to create how to help people create whole human systems where that is is the basis of the whole system, and and kind of and, and then kind of help those those human systems to become kind of to become quite self aware and quite able to to problem solve on a complex level. Um, is is really what you know I really want to do, and then some days I find that that's possible, and some days I find that that's a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. Do you find? I, I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago that you know we're we are talking about there's a there's a couple of layers of uh, people in large organizations at least to have been rewarded for uh, maybe an older non-agile mindset. And so then asking them to change is not comfortable because maybe their their means of compensation or reward have not changed. But also in the past, they have not been rewarded for, for um, creating those human systems. They've been, re- they've been rewarded for pushing work through the system. And I don't, so I, I wonder if anything can change until we recognize that and change that. Well, part of what we're asking people to do, though, is terrifying, isn't it? I mean, yes. we, we walk yes. into an organization and we tell typically a middle manager to director level person, because we're not allowed to talk to the VPs, right? <laughs> the, VPs, <laughs> the, the VPs don't need training. Go train everyone else. 
Um, mm. But we're working with, that's one of my more cynical moments. But, um, but when, we, when we are working with these middle management type people or these, these you know, higher to middle management, uh, we're scaring them. I, at least in my opinion, I, I have found that when we say, hey, trust the team, or now they're self-organizing, or now we're, we're going to do um, you know, these self-management type activities, uh, they're horrified. You know, how are they going to mm. make sure the work is done? How, do they, uh, you know, how are they going to ensure that the, the goals are met? Um, and it's a, lot of, it's a lot of fear, and it's a lot of lack of trust, and it's a lot mm. of lack of understanding. And I'm wondering if part of the reason... Uh, that we suffer in this space is that for the longest time we have focused on the team, but then coaching upward has really only recently become, you know, and even an interest for, for trainers. So I know on, on Joe's side, I don't know that the certified agile leadership, that's a course aimed at middle management. I've taken it um, on the yeah. scrum.org side. We have the professional agile leadership essentials, which is rolling out, which is now aimed at that middle layer that we're having trouble with. But I'm wondering until we actually get uh, kind of the safety rails in place for this middle management type of type of person, are we always going to suffer with this? I, I think that's really kind of the essence of a lot of it it's, uh, is that is the safety rails that you talk about. And I, I, don't, I don't even think that that safety rails for middle managers. I think it's safety rails for everybody because it's exactly what you're saying. Not a, We're asking people to, uh, often to make big changes into how they do things. Um, and sometimes people go in and tell them, oh, you need to make all of these changes um, into what you're doing and you need to do things this way, but they don't give them the how. So somebody's saying, oh, do uh, stand-ups instead of uh, project updates or do these things instead of these things or whatever the case may be because – that's going to make us more agile. And if we're more agile, we're going to get more stuff out the door. Um, but nobody's kind of giving them the, the, the support and the, and the, the safety rails, like in order to help them to, to do these things a little bit better every day or to, um, or to, you know, kind of show them another way of doing things. Cause a lot of the time it's like, Oh, just do this thing differently. Um, but if no, if you've never ever done it before, and your whole mental model is totally the opposite to what somebody's asking you to do, you don't even know where to start half of the time. Well, and, and so yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, and we never yeah. even ask them if they want to do it. Yes. So even I, I think a lot of the resistance that we see is actually it's not a resistance to change, it's not a resistance to agile, it's a resistance to coercion. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's an Esther Derby line, but uh, you know, she says so many brilliant things. I think I did swipe that from her, though. But I think it is mm. a... We're, we're just basically saying, all right, project manager, you're now a scrum master. Go behave this way. And exactly. did we ever stop and say, hey, project manager, are you happy being a project manager? Uh, if so, how can we make sure you can keep doing this? If not, would you like to check out this new role? Right? Yes. Right, and they're already operating from a a, a place of uh, from an unsafe place because in that kind of conversation, someone's come in and said, "Hey, we've got all this change that we want everyone to undertake," and um, change can often mean rifts or layoffs. Um, it can mean, yeah, just what you said, just being 
it, it just implies a lack of control. So people are already on heightened alert. And then, mm. like you said, we come in and we make their decisions for them um, instead of kind of allowing them to choose where they might want to go. Yeah. yeah. And so that, how do you, uh, how do you kind of, um, how do we make it easier for uh, the people that need to support the human systems to put the scaffolding in place and create the supporting structures? Because if they do that, then any, the rest of the changes are going to be a lot less scary, right? It's going to be a lot easier to do. So I have found and, and I've had some decent success with co-creation. So if mm. I'm coaching teams, I, I try to get the management uh, and the actual teams together and say, you know, not even worry and, and not even worry about the, the terminology and just say, what are we after? What is our outcome? And it, oh, it's to ship software to be able to deliver something in um, three months instead of a year. So, all right, so let's walk backwards through that. And you just start walking through how things are today, how they could be improved. Um, but you have everyone in the room from management down to developer or across to developer if it's a horizontal organization. But, and you just start having that discussion with everyone. What do you need to get this cut down? What could, what could change? What could be different? What could be better? And what I have found is that when the people being impacted have an opportunity to co-create some of the change that you're trying to bring forward, uh, a lot of that tension drops. Uh, a lot of those yeah. issues go away. Um, I know as a as a director, uh, back when I was in that, that type of management role, um, I would give a vision and direction, and not direction as in do this, do this, do this, but as in here is our overall goal. This is the direction our, our work needs to go in. Now please go organize around that. And now if we didn't have all the skills on the team available... We would go get those skills. But I think that's the other part of this is that cross-functional uh, team. And I think that's kind of a myth. I mean, how many times have, have Joe and Faye, mm. how many times have the two of you seen uh, where you go into an organization and you're asked to do a transformation, which I think is a horrible word for this, but we'll, we'll use it because it's, it's, what, it's the vernacular. But you're asked to do a transformation mm. and you go in and it's a bunch of siloed teams. Right, so you have your you have your um, your DevOps team, but they've managed to separate the dev from the ops very quickly, and you have yeah. <laughs> you know uh, yeah. So now that's broken off, but then you have like uh, an ingestion team, you have a data science team, you have an Internet of Things team, you have your Java team, you have your Scala team, you have you have all these different siloed divisions, and what they're really asking you to do is manage handoffs. But we have this concept of cross functionality that that just doesn't get there. Is that is that a fair statement? All right. Before Joe and Faye answer that question about uh, handoffs and whether that's really the system at work at play, I wanted to tell you about TechWell's Agile Dev West. So the software industry is changing. We're constantly facing new challenges, pressures, and opportunities in the agile arena. In fact, the increased demand may have you asking, "How do I even keep up with it all?" So learn how at Agile Dev West. It's June 3rd through the 8th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Agile Dev West offers you the perfect opportunity to get away from the office distractions, to immerse yourself and improve your skills in areas such as agile and lean development, scaled agile development, DevOps, AI and machine learning, digital transformation, leadership, and so much more. 
Choose from, from over 100 learning opportunities to learn from industry leaders, find solutions to your challenges, and network with industry peers. Agile for Humans listeners, use the code AFH18 to receive 10% off your conference registration. Check out well.tc forward slash agile. So I'll be there this year. I'm presenting uh, workshops. Uh, I think uh, actually the Thursday keynote. I will be very uh, present at Agile Dev West. Uh, really looking forward to interacting with all of the listeners, the attendees. This is such a fun event. I usually at least hit one TechWell event a year. Um, this is going to be a fun one. I really hope to see all of you out there. Use that code AFH18. Get 10% off your registration. Come on out to Vegas. Uh, let's hang out. Let's go to some sessions. Let's see what we can all learn together. I hope all of you take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. All right, let's get back to Joe Perold. I'm sure she's about to say something really brilliant and uh, really just learning so much from this. So I hope you're enjoying it too. All right, back to Joe. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I see yeah. a lot of that. I would agree. I don't think I've ever seen anything other than that except in the smallest of organizations. And by that, I mean probably as, probably as soon as you're bigger than 75 people, uh, that happens. Yeah, so maybe the reason this is hard, right? So maybe the re reason that this is difficult uh, is because we look at a process, but we're not really looking at our organization. You know, what if we tore down the walls and what if we reorganize? Well, actually, what if we let uh, all of these silos self-organize into teams capable of delivering what they're asking, what we've asked them to deliver, and then work that way? So maybe the difficulty is we're not addressing our organizational uh, issues. We're not addressing uh, the coercion and the, the nature yeah. of coercion in a transformation. Maybe we're not addressing um, supporting and, and working with the management layer. Um, you know, maybe those are all the difficulties. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that that's part of the problem is that those things don't get addressed. I also, the the other thing is that in some organizations, those things happen to be, organization is so big and so siloed that often like the, the division, like 500 people, a thousand people division or whatever, where you're coaching is, is part of like a bigger ship that you've, that the leaders of that division even don't have control over and so even just to get one cross-functional team in place means kind of re-orchestrating and reorganizing the whole organization and until we get to the point where people start like realizing that the that agility is an organization-wide thing and it's not just an IT thing uh, we're not going to get the opportunity, I don't think, of, of being able to influence some of those sections of the organization that need to be influenced. Because a lot of it means speaks to organizational structure changes. So there's like certain things that can happen and that are easy and that work. And then there's other things that if you, if you don't make organizational structure changes, then um, you, you'll never kind of get to a, a point of, of a cross-functional team. And then that in in, a, in and of itself is also a scary thing, right? And like now you all of a sudden changing the lives of all of these humans in, in this massive system. And so you also need to engage them before you do stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's also sometimes I guess for me like chicken and egg, like how, how do you uh, do, you know, where do you start? Like where do you start? And then, then I think of Dave Snowden and the, his kids' birthday party video and I think – 
know, maybe you just do some stuff and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that uh, birthday video, I think that's a great way to start any kind of engagement with a uh, with an organization. It shows them kind of the absurdity uh, of some of the ideas that we cling on to very, very well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And so, and and then, so then I think to myself, okay, cool. So, like, that's probably a great metaphor for, um, and and yet the more kind, of, the bigger and kind of the more sort of bureaucratic the organization is, the longer they've been around, um, the more they're looking for a, a like a plan, a plan to make these changes. They want this like this this plan. What are the steps one to five? Well, we can give you step one and two, and then we're going to figure out what step three should be. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. <laughs> right. And I'm always – so I'm, at, I'm currently at an organization like that. It's, it's large. There's, uh, there's thousands of people in the IT realm alone, and the company itself is approaching 100 years old. So um, – yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, like, you would not be able, I, as you were talking, I was just thinking, what if you, um, if you've tried to overlay kind of that Zappos model over the top of just saying, look, here, if someone from the top says, here's organizational changes that we would like to make, and we're giving you a period of time to either opt in or opt out, um, how would that even look? Because for some people, they've been there so long and given the benefits that they receive, opting in that that opting in and opting out is not a true invitation um you know because if they if they opt out they're losing a lot that they're not going to get if they opt out and go to a different organization so um i'm wondering how you know if that kind of thing even works so then you're always back to the the example of someone else dictating how my what my work looks like or the structure that i work in um and yeah, I think at a larger organization, especially, I, I, I understand why they struggle. So how do you start to dismantle that slowly to move in a different direction? And yes, that that's uh, and the plan thing. I, as an aside, the plan thing always makes me laugh because I, I mean, I personally have been a lot a part of a lot of plans that didn't go according to plan, which is to say, most of them. Um, mm. so, the, so the the fact that we still rely on plans, whatever those look like, as yeah. a security blanket is is funny to me. It's like we never learn from that. I don't know. Somehow it makes us feel better, like you said, to have steps one through five laid out. But um, yeah, and then telling someone we don't actually know what step three, the, we don't know the best step three. Yes. Yeah, we've got and some And we options. certainly don't know the the right step five at this point. <laughs> yeah, because the minute you, you you do step one, step like every the whole organization changes, right? Right. Especially the, or the often the the context changes or parts of the organization change. Many things change and shift once you start making changes to human systems, and uh, and so you need to pay attention to those because the changes that you're going to make are going to impact the decisions that you of whatever is going to happen next. Right. And I think that, that that's part of the failing is that, like, sometimes people get so hung up on, like, we have to follow this plan to get to whatever, that they're not taking into account what the human system is telling them. 
and then they're not kind of listening to the system and saying, hey, you know, okay, we need to slow down here or whatever the case may be. Right. It's not a linear plan. It's more of a choose your own adventure book. Did you, <laughs> I like did that. You, <laughs> did you guys read those as a kid? Those were some of my favorite. I, I did. I did. I loved them as well. Mm-hmm. I really, because, yeah, if you, I, I read a lot as a kid and then you'd get bored of all the same old, same old. So it was nice to have a good story that you could read in 500 different ways. <laughs> Not quite 500, but a few. Yeah, there is that fallacy out there that if only we would we would have planned enough, uh, things would have been perfect. And uh, but our lives kind of th- dismantles that every day. You know, today the weather shifted on us, and now it's a cold, rainy day uh, here in in Indiana. And uh, it wasn't supposed to be that way a few days ago. And so I I wonder why with software though we believe that well this this is the one thing that we can control. Like, this is something that we're going to make sure happens, and, and we're going to commit to this insane date six months a- ahead of time with all of this scope that's always going to be there. And, you know, what is it about software uh, in and of itself that, that makes us think that such things like that are even reasonable? Does this still go back to that fundamental lack of understanding of what software development is like? And we've talked before about how somewhere along the way, and I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't know where this started, of, of likening uh, software development to building a house. And, you know, when you know that, you know, the end state, you know, you know, pretty certainly all the, with some, with a lot of certainty, all the steps in the middle that need to get us there. Um, and very little deviation other than kind of the, the glossy stuff that you put on at the end. And, and we treat software that way. We also treat software as though it can be finished that notion, I encounter, I encounter non-developers all the time who don't grasp that concept that software is not necessarily finished ever. Uh, it doesn't reach an end state. And even when you reach an end state, technologies change and um, dependencies within a system change. So we constantly need to be grooming it. It's a lot more like a garden than a house. So are, are we really stuck there that we just have just this fundamental lack of understanding of what software development is? I think for me it's less of a – it might be less of a, a, a lack of understanding and more of a, a, a an, our mental models are just stuck. Like there's this stuckness to the way that we think about these things because uh, – because we're using the wrong metaphors, probably because we're using the wrong language, um, and you know, it it came from so many different things. I think it came from like so much. The software touches absolutely everything these days, where and it's come so fast. Whereas five years ago, your 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 primary business was I don't know, maybe you were a a, a retailer of some description. Um, and, and so your primary business was retail and, and now like in order to like have a primary business of retail, you need still like, like half of your business is actually technology, even though your primary business might still be retail. And, and for some, for some organizations, it's like totally the opposite. If you look at kind of, um, I don't know, like even banking institutions, you, you know, like 
they they do banking, but that they absolutely cannot do banking without technology. So, but they're still kind of thinking that that there's you know that they're that they're banking, and they haven't quite gotten to the point where actually like yes, they're banking, but also their their technology, and uh, and if they don't kind of figure out this technology thing, which is all new, you know, like the past 20, 30, 40 years, it's just like, it's new. And so lots of it hasn't been done before. So like, I, well, I agree with you, Faye, that there's this kind of, this not so much misunderstanding for me, but this like, these absolutely like unshifted mental models where we think about things um, in one way and like nobody's offering kind of, well, not nobody. It's it's hard for some people to hear the offers of new kind of models to pick up. Yeah. Well, I think it gets back to some of the, the organizational change as well, right? Because if we look at how mm-hmm. organizations are structured, the, the siloed approach assumes a, a manufacturing kind of mental model, right? So if we just have the, the database people over here doing database people kind of stuff, and, and if we have, um, you know, the, the mid... The, the middleware people over here doing their thing and and all of it will just come together in some big integration mess at the end it's it's still that kind of siloed idea like we have carpenters we have plumbers we have electricians right and they all come in and do their thing at different times and and the house will just come together uh, I think that mental model idea is a strong one uh, Joe I think you've hit on and and Faye I think we've we've hit on something here that you know, getting past the idea that we're building a house and really there were, it's more like a garden. I think of it more like art, you know, where, mm-hmm. where people, um, you know, asking, get a, get a piece of artwork commissioned or, or even like making wine, one of our favorite topics, you know, mm-hmm. how do you, can you actually put, one. can you put <laughs> an end date on when a bottle of wine is going to be ready or is it just going to be mm-hmm. ready when it's ready? You know, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> and it can be from now until 10 years time kind of thing. And now it's going to taste like one thing. And in 10 years, it's going to be something maybe even completely different. And, and, and that completely different could be way better and small percentage way worse. <laughs> but you know what? But it's yeah. never, it's never done. And even, exactly. and even a bottle of wine that sat too long can be amazing to cook with. You know, even oh, you, yes. you may not want to drink it anymore, but hey, you can cook with it. So it's never actually done. And I think that's that could be interesting too. Just the maybe wine shouldn't be the the topic at a large organization, but um, I think the idea that uh, it's never really done; it's just released, and we're gaining feedback. That could be yeah. interesting. I, I like the wine analogy as well because you could have a great wine that just goes south because you didn't take good care of it. That's true. Mm, that's and so many software projects out there, or software systems products are. Uh, I see that it's and it's so. The other thing that I was thinking of is is in conjunction with this whole thing around human systems and how this stuff is hard because we're dealing with human systems and humans are complicated and complex um, in and of themselves. Uh, so like that is the the first thing. Um, the other thing is that there, for me is that there's also what I see often in large organizations is this, this entropy. Uh, it's my definition of entropy, I guess, which is this tendency of uh, uh, 
of human systems and organizations to kind of tend towards disorder or chaos or um, if you're not paying attention to getting better at something, then often you're letting things get a little bit worse every day, if that makes sense. And you don't always notice these things until the hole is so deep or things have gotten so bad that now it's like, oh, my goodness, like how did we get here? But, you know, things, as Jerry Weinberg likes to say, things are the way they are because they got this way, you know, and, and we let them get this way. And so, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's like the whole entropy thing. And if we're not kind of paying attention to helping humans like pay attention to the things that they need to pay attention to in order to keep the system on the rails and keep things getting better and better and better, then it is going to kind of get a little bit worse every day because we're not going to notice. Um, so, so yeah, so how, how, how do we kind of build that into the cultures of organizations as well at the same time as kind of, Hey, we need to take care of these humans. Like, and we need to kind of make sure we're not going backwards. Well, I think part of it is proving that we can still ship software and we can provide value to an organization with these values. And I think part of that's on team coaching, right? I, I really think if, um, if we're going to go in and say self-organization is important, um, individuals and interactions are more important than processes and tools, which is really what we're saying. I know the word is over in the in the manifesto, but we're saying those are more important and that any process and tool must serve individuals and interactions. Otherwise, mm. we it's suspect. At least that's my interpretation of it. And so I think part of it is proving success uh, quickly, whether it's a, a pilot project, whether it's a the ability to improve a practice, whether it's the ability to get something uh, out the door a little bit quicker. I think that's the that's what kind of just barely budges that window or door open and allows us to have those conversations. Does that make sense? Or have yeah. I, or have I wrecked it? <laughs> no, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. It makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. Cause I, I mean, again, getting to sit in that director seat for a while, I think was, so it taught me a few things. First of all, it taught me that I don't want to climb a corporate ladder, which was a good lesson to learn. But I also spent a lot of time with vice presidents who's, who have learned from various sources, uh, good or bad, whichever uh, they may be, the sources, not the vice presidents, that Agile is only about better, faster, cheaper. Mm. And that is the mentality that you run into um, over and over and over. And in some ways, they're not wrong, but it's the, the interpretation of better, faster, cheaper that's problematic. And so I think... Uh, just first of all, understanding that that's the, the predominant mental model, at least in my experience that you're walking into, and then understanding how we can use that to show something that's a little bit better. Perhaps we got some value out a little faster, and maybe we were able to cut some features out that, and that made the overall project a little cheaper. I think we can even re reframe that mental mindset a little bit and work with it. Does that resonate or make sense? Yeah, that does resonate, actually. So, Ryan, when you were in that role, what kind of, I guess, I guess in my mind, I'm expecting them to be downward pressures, but what kind of pressures did you feel um, to deviate from what you would consider an agile mindset? Did, 
did you, I'm assuming you did based on the way you've spoken about it in the past. Yeah. So there was a, a constant pressure um, to try to control things. And when I did not have, so I worked in a, in an environment where directors were expected to have every answer to every possible question about every project in their portfolio. And mm-hmm. at any given time I could have, you know, five, six, seven, eight different initiatives going very large development initiatives with multiple teams. I didn't even try to, uh, to know everything about everything. I don't think it's possible. All I did was build very large wall charts and whenever a, a VP would ask me what's the status of a, a project, I would just point to the wall and say the latest and greatest. And, and you could actually usually see someone uh, on one of the teams that I, I, I managed up there curating the wall and updating the, the burn down and, and doing the, moving the post-its around and, and doing that, that maintenance because they knew that I was taking a risk by pushing a VP to that wall, but it also stopped the flybys. I think we all know what the flybys are, where, where someone swoops in, uh, gets a quick status update, and swoops out. And so a lot of the downward pressure was on some of those traditional status check-ins, but I was able to defer some of it uh, to some of these very large visible practices, and that worked all right. Um, in other cases, I, would, I myself would do some of the old status reporting uh, that would basically create like an interface back to the old old world. Know, the teams would be free and sheltered to to act to self-organize and to do all of the great things that teams should be allowed to do. I would take on the additional work of providing kind of some of those reports and things out so that they weren't impacted. Um, you know, one of the and I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or not. Um, I always struggled with HR practices as well, and so there was a lot of downward pressure from HR to, you know, who's your best performer. And we're going to reward them and we're going to because for retention and things like that. And I actually would take like the pool of money that we had available for bonuses. I'd put a number on a whiteboard and let the teams decide how it would get divvied up. Like I I didn't really I would resist the pressures by basically not worrying about the consequences at times, which for the Agile for Humans listeners out there, I don't necessarily recommend. I will not pay your mortgage if you take some advice and get fired. So, you know. (laughs) You know, choose your spots and be smart about it. But I think there are ways that leaders can resist and actually reroute some of that downward pressure. And the fact of the matter was my teams were, were hitting all of the expectations, right? So we were able to uh, deliver value sooner on our custom development pieces. We were able to make sure our integrations were of high quality and, and repeatedly uh, tested, things like that. Um, and so we had just excellent results. So it very it came it became very difficult for people to uh, catch me out in a meeting or to argue too much because we were actually shipping and our customers could not say enough good things about us. So when your internal partners, like when you have vice presidents in the business, basically saying when is when's Ryan's team or when is one or when is when is one of Ryan's teams available because that's who we want to work with, that kind of success actually helps you. A break free of some of that downward pressure as well. Yeah, that's totally awesome. And that's true. And I think that well, that speaks to a lot of what I'm talking about is that the, it sounds like you provided the human support that, 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 you know, like that those people needed. So there was the support for doing things differently and somebody to help um, to, to answer the questions to how and why and, 
um, and what's the best way and can you help us to, uh, you know, just by showing them how to solve their own problems and supporting that, well, why don't we all just sit together and do this together and it's okay that you don't have the perfect answer so and so, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You can be this human and you can not know the answer to these questions and that's okay. Um, we need to find a way to provide that information to people because people need that information. But we don't have to all have all the answers all the time, right? We can figure out, like, how do you, between us have all the answers, um, which is like a way better, way better way of doing things. Well, if if I decide as the director of a of multiple teams that I'm the smartest person and I'm going to make all the decisions, well, the team's mm. now limited by my intelligence, which is a very exactly. which is which is a limiting factor. So trust mm-hmm. me, that will cause limits. But if we mm-hmm. take you know twenty people, put them in a room, and say we have this problem, mm-hmm. how do we fix it? Well, we're now exponentially smarter. Exactly. Right, and I I see this play out over and over and over and over where. Uh, someone who's trying to be the smartest person in the room causes the bottleneck, and it's not intentional. They're trying to solve a problem, right? Yep. And, I, and I think intentions, that's that's the other, you know, maybe a tangent here real quick. When we talk about these topics, I think when people listen to kind of how hard we are on, on management, um, it's probably a little off-putting. But I, mm. I want to make sure that people understand that we truly do believe, at least I believe, and I'll, and I think that Joe mm. and Faye would agree that Everyone's doing the Definitely. best they can with the skills. Yes, with what they've got. Right. I agree. And so it's not really a knock. It's really a frustration on our side, mainly for me because I used to act that way. And so there is a little bit of shame. There's a little bit of regret when I think about, you know, as a developer, I hated being micromanaged. But my first management opportunity, I micromanaged people. And so why would I go from from that stance into micromanagement? But it, but I think it happens over and over and over to a lot of people. So you were mimicking the behavior that you had witnessed. Definitely. Yes. It, because the person who promoted me had those those behaviors. And so it took a while to actually shake free of some of that and to to let, let's be honest. When a director walks into a room and puts a bonus number on a wall and says all of you you know, in this room, you guys have an hour, figure out how you're going to divvy this out, you're risking getting fired. Yeah. I mean, that is something that would upset a number of HR organizations across the world. Um, but at the same time, I think it's the right thing to do. And so at some point, in, at least in my career, I had to make a decision of, am I going to be true to what I believe? Am I going to take an ethical stance? Um, and, I'm, and I'm going, or am I going to treat people like human beings? Or am I going to favor process? Am I going to micromanage and ensure that I have an excuse available for when things fail to, to protect my own role? And I, that's not, those aren't the only two choices, but those were the two choices that I, feel, I felt like I had in my context. And I mm. went with the riskier one. And I, and I think what we're going to see as, um, as the world moves faster and faster and faster and as companies get disrupted like they're getting disrupted right now, the companies mm. with people who make that decision to be a little risky and to empower people, I think they're going to come out on top. So I agree with you. And, and 
like what I'm looking for is how can we help organizations make it so that it's easy to make the decision that you made because at the moment people make it re- a lot of organizations and not like the humans in the system, but the system itself makes it really, really difficult for people to make the decision that says that, and so that says that like, I'm going to, uh, you know, favor individuals and interactions over the processes and tools that we have here. Um, and so, and, and that's the thing that like, how do we create that space where we can shift where it's so easy for me to make that decision um, because I'm supported because, uh, you know, it's, it's okay for me to be a human being and like, I don't have to be perfect and know everything. Um, it's like, it's okay for, you know, for me to tell people like, you're not going to get your project on this date because that's impossible. And I'm going to work with you <laughs> to get to give it to you as fast as like humanly possible, but like what you're asking for just isn't, um, you know, and we're not allowed to have that conversation. And that for me is sad. So, so that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was thinking about the, like the human system part, like how do we create that space where, where it's so easy for, for, cause people want to do the best that they can. Right. And, and we just make it exponentially like more difficult for me, them to make the decision that you made. Um, and so how do we make that decision easy? Like, what do we change so that that's the easy thing? That's the thing. Well, I think part of it is the awareness that you can make a decision. Cause I, yeah. cause a lot of my peers, um, they were just flabbergasted at some of the things I was doing. Um, and I didn't always do the right thing. Like, I don't want it to sound like my management tenure was just amazing. Like I had a lot of failed experiments too, but, um, they were just, they were amazed. They're like, how can you even like try this different thing? We, we don't have that ability. And I'm like, well, I haven't been told no. Uh, and so I, to me, I saw an opportunity to do things a little differently. But I think, first of all, it's the awareness. Um, but it's also back to coaching the organizationally. You know, if you look mm. at even, even uh, if you look at the Scrum Guide, Scrum Master has a, a, one of their key service levels is back to the organization. And it's back to... T- discussing with the organization the interactions that both help and harm the team. Well, let's yeah. uh, back to the HR example. Individual performance reviews cause harm to a self-organizing cross-functional team. They just do. And so now, can we have a conversation with HR about how to uh, to nurture and empower uh, these teams uh, and not damage them through financial incentive? I don't think most people realize that's even a discussion. But if you go to HR and have that talk, uh, they're actually very interested. I have found uh, most HR professionals are very interested in the fact or in the idea that individual bonuses could be damaging. And I think sometimes they're surprised by it. So I think having those discussions with the kind of with with people that are open to having it, uh, I think that's a start. But I don't think it'll ever be easy uh, because I think there's there's always this discomfort, this risk and like if I were to go back into management, I would probably, which I probably won't. But if, um, but if I ever do make that leap again, I would act the same way. But it would always be risky, and and I don't. To, to answer your question, Joe, I don't know. I don't know what makes it um, less risky, other than uh, creating the awareness that there are options. Because I think most people in in that kind of role don't see an option in many of those cases. Um, mm. But other than that, I think it's really working with the organization. Getting HR on board has been very powerful in, in the past for me. You know, because I would skate these lines. 
And but but I would always have an HR person like a champion with me. Like I would make sure that legally I was I was safe. You know, like putting that number on the wall didn't break some labor law. Um but also making sure I wasn't breaking some kind of HR practice or policy. They would look at me funny, but they couldn't find the actual policy I was breaking. So I think maybe it's partnerships too, and just starting to to work through some of these really, I don't know if they're taboo concepts, but some of these, uh, I guess, more unorthodox uh, decisions and management practices. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll back up too. I think outside of the compensation and reward systems that we put in place for teams, I, I think we need to re-examine what we do for managers as well. Um, and back to your point, I, I hope, I'm sure it does, but I hope it's not my intention that it sounds like we're slamming on management because I know that especially that, that middle layer uh, has a lot of expectations placed on it. Uh, and that is how they're rewarded. They're rewarded for knowing the status of every single one of their projects in their portfolio, right? Um, they're rewarded for people delivering on the deadline that someone else chose for them, for the team. So changing the way that we recognize, compensate, reward management as well is critical, I think. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that came, that just popped into my mind, uh, uh, Faye, you jogged something loose here. Um, I changed the way I spoke about the projects too, and that had to become safe. Uh, and what I mean is, instead of saying, you know, I directed the team to do X, instead mm -hmm. it was, hey, this person on my team made a really great decision. Uh, they were empowered to do it. It just saved us, you know, two months of development effort because they walked across the, the, the building and paired with this person for two hours and figured out something really neat. Um, but I always made sure that when I was speaking about... Uh, the accomplishments of the team, that it was the team's accomplishment, not mine. And I found that yeah. making that safer, uh, because initially pe people are like, well, if you're not making decisions, what are you doing as a manager? Well, <laughs> I'm doing a lot, but decision making, I, you know, some of the, I'll break ties every once in a while, but I don't want to make every decision because I'm not the smartest person in the room. Um, mm. But uh, I think having, just starting to change the way that people discuss these things as well creates a little bit more safety. You know, if, if we can all start just being honest about, hey, as a manager, I had this really horrible idea. Uh, the team corrected me quickly. We sat down and sorted it out. I think that's interesting too. I mean, a little vulnerability, a little honesty. Um, but I think that scares people as well because if, hey, if a manager's coming up with bad ideas, we don't need them. And so I, yeah. I think there's being able to shift the language a bit, I think would also be uh, really helpful as well shift the language and I guess it also a lot of it goes back to um, what we've known for ages and Google has publicized uh, around psychological safety yeah. that you know that the top thing is allowing people because for me that that it, it, part of it is just being able to be you know um, a human and to you know to do the best that you can with what you've got and and create the space where other people can shoot for the stars to their highest uh, in a safe way. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what it's mostly about. Actually, I think the psychological safety, if we got that right, uh, all the things that we're talking about become a lot simpler. Mm. 
Do you think a lot of organizations look at that that study and the output of it and then think, well, yeah, that's Google. That's not us. That's not something we need to concern ourselves with. I, I think I think it's just most companies don't know where to start. It's one of those things again. It's like it's just really hard. And and people don't know how to do it or where to start. So so I think a lot of organizations look at it and go, Yeah, that's really a good idea and you know, and and how? <laughs> where? What do we do? What's the first thing? Like they don't yeah. even know where to start. And 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 that's the like there's a lot of kind of you know, maybe one day there'll be psychological safety transformations and people will be <laughs> running around as uh, psychological safety coaches. <laughs> oh. Well, we'll have to figure out what the certification for that would be and, and get ahead of Indeed. that too. <laughs> I think I, so. <laughs> yeah, I think with that, I, one more management insight and then I think we'll wrap up. But um, mm. when you look at a project, and so trying to get a project approved, like if I know that a psychological safety initiative would be the, the best thing that a company could do at this moment to kind of to make some of these things that we've talked about simpler or more possible. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to go through a very rigorous process of getting approval for this project. And I got to get, um, let's identify all the people involved. Let's identify the cost. Let's identify the ROI. And when you start talking in those terms, it becomes yep. very difficult to get a lot of these things approved. So I'm not mm-hmm. delivering hard value. This is not a yep. dollars and cents. This is a soft cost kind of project. Mm-hmm. And I find that even that kind of language can derail um, many of these initiatives as well. So it's not just an HR thing. It's a finance thing. It's a every organization mm-hmm. ha- and every department within an organization uh, has a different mental model to consider uh, when they go down this path. And uh, until we, we get the, the language and those things in place, you know, Joe, I think, I think these things are just going to be hard. Yep. They are. And, and so I guess like the, for me, it's, it's that, um, the, the discovery of it's hard because we're humans and it's hard because, uh, like there are certain instances in which humans will just by default behave in certain ways. And unless we can put the scaffolding in place to help, um, people to you know, be better and make better decisions about, you know, so many different things, then it's going to continue to be hard. And I guess that uh, like one of the things that I'm saying is that, that it's, it's kind of important for organizations to take uh, coaching seriously, Um, not just from external coach's perspective but actually a lot from an internal coach's perspective to figure out who are those people in your organization who can be the people to help with the scaffolding bits and to also be the people that are continuously kind of um, looking for the entropy and helping you to see where you're starting to go down a hole that's you know starting to dig a hole that if you carry on digging is going to get you in trouble you know like just stop digging there guys like here's something that you can do that will help you to be better you know what i mean tomorrow and and like i think that uh, for a long time you know uh, the, the or, or still even the coaching role is quite undervalued and and that's where i think the value sits is to kind of be these people to help 
like first of all create this safety and scaffolding so that people know what to do and why to do things and how to go about doing these things and also just as a first pass you know what I mean just like get all together like solve your own problems it's okay and it's okay to be human and you know and also like oh guys that's a hole you're 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 digging now just stop (laughs) just stop digging just stop I don't know guess that's kind of what I've been thinking about <laughs> well very good hopefully this uh, this added to your list of things to think about I, I certainly kind of a, I every once in a while I enjoy going back down management memory lane so it's uh, it's always interesting to explore some of those kind of things and and Faye uh, thank you for the reminder about the garden metaphor that's one that I had let slip out of my mind but it's one that I want to come back to because I think it is I think it's perfect for what we do. Yeah, I like that too. If less if you're um, a gardener, you know that if you can't do everything on day one, or then you can't stand up on day two, uh, you're exhausted <laughs> and your back is killing you. So it, it has to happen incrementally, and you have to take care of it along the way. Yep. So I think we've hit our time box. So mm. this is the point of the show where we invite our guests to promote anything they've got going on. Uh, anything that they'd like to get in front of the listeners and also to continue the conversation, how listeners can reach out to you. So let's go with Faye. Faye, what do you got going on and how can uh, people continue the conversation? And if anybody wants to reach me, probably the best spot is uh, on Twitter at Agile Faye, um, A-G-I-L-E-F-A-Y-E. Cool. Thanks, Faye. Joe, how about you? Oh, yeah, I am on Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to me at Joe Perold on Twitter and continue the conversation. Sounds great. So I'll get links to all of that stuff into the show notes so that the listeners can check all of that great stuff out. Uh, as for me, your host, Ryan Ripley, uh, it's at Ryan Ripley on Twitter. It's uh, ryanripley.com. Hopefully you're listening to the podcast on there or perhaps on iTunes If you are on iTunes. Uh, please leave us a review. Five stars. Always appreciated, but always be honest. And if you can leave some comments, that would be great. Uh, If you're getting a ton of value out of the show and you'd like to uh, step up and help support the show even more than many of you already do, uh, which I do appreciate. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for getting the show in front of your colleagues. We did start up a Patreon account. So now you can check out Patreon uh, and support the Agile for Humans show as well. With that said, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Faye and Joe, for for sharing your insights. This was a lot of fun and uh, we'll talk to everyone next time. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.